we search. As humans, it is in our nature to seek answers, to formulate explanations to our greatest mysteries. Moreover, we want to rationalize our fears. But what scares us most? Sure, there are the basics. Fear of flying, fear of drowning, of spiders, snakes, what might be hiding under the bed. We fear tight spaces and large crowds. We are frightened by germs and darkness. Each of these, of course, can be followed out to their logical conclusions. Planes crash and boats sink. Snakes and spiders, they bite. That thing under your bed must have some nefarious intentions for you, or else why would it be hiding? Claustrophobia reminds you of your lack of options, the absence of survival essentials, while crowds are unpredictable and vulnerable. Microscopic organisms, especially in 2020, make us realize that not all threats can be seen. And in that same vein, when does the lurking darkness ever bring glad tidings? This is where a threat waits, watches, then attacks. The list of phobias continues to stretch, and on a long enough timeline, is infinite. But I would argue that each and every one can be traced back to the fear of death. I'm not breaking new ground here. Each of our basic fears is a reminder about the fragility of our lives, that we are not immortal, that often our demise is quite literally out of our hands. But is death the root of these fears, or is it the uncertainty of what, if anything, comes after? We have theories, both religious and scientific, but no one, not a soul on the planet, knows what will happen when our heart stops. The human mind simply can't process this sort of unknown, as the baseline of its automation is survival. An end to that, well, that's simply a glitch our processors can't overcome. So what do we do? We call in professionals. We offer our money and time, our houses and our personal lives to individuals who have spent more of their time studying the unanswerable questions that we have, hoping that yes, maybe, they can provide us with proof. We hope they are the real deal. We watch reality shows about ghost hunting and read books about supposedly real hauntings. Like Fox Mulder, we want to believe, even if the questions and answers will scare us into that very casket we've been trying to avoid. Maybe this is why we are drawn to the supernatural, the paranormal. As much as it makes our hearts race, there might be an answer at the end of that tunnel. Even though ghosts, spirits, poltergeists, by and large, frighten us, is there some part of our psyches that is drawn to them? Because their proven existence would assure us that death is not the end. So let's pretend that we believe, that hauntings are real, that they are proof of an afterlife. What happens then when you get a glimpse of what comes after and you don't like what you see? Ladies and gentlemen, the doctor is in and the haunt is on.
Chapter 13 None of it seemed real. The scene was unfolding like a movie, like so many movies Dennis Coleman had watched before. A few standout productions, but the majority were below B-level horror. Bad effects, worse acting, budget for costume design next to nothing, while wires and cords were clearly visible in every shot. Denny felt like he was behind the scenes, not a grip or a gaffer, but a spectator trying his best to stay out of the way. But this was no movie. This wasn't a filming location or a soundstage. There was no artificial lighting, because whatever light came inside was what the house allowed. The Georgia Ghoul Society had arrived. They were in his house. Getting into bed the night before, Denny and Kate had lay next to one another, scrolling through their phones, each searching for information about Kyle's chosen investigative group. They spoke aloud, but not really to each other, just aloud, as if they were cataloging information or throwing hints at the house itself. Three of them, Denny whispered. The women are sisters, Pamela and Aaron Green. And this guy, Alex Gilmore, Kate said. He looks like a parental basement dweller. Founded in 2016. Nonprofit. Ability to communicate with the dead. 21,000 YouTube subscribers. 13 successful connections. And back and forth, back and forth, a couple mumbled declarations and statements from the GeorgiaGhoulSociety.org until sleep crept up on them, and Denny had fallen asleep wondering what made a paranormal connection successful. He'd woken up Saturday morning with the same thought, but didn't ask Kate or anyone else in the house. In fact, no one mentioned what was unfolding until the Green Sisters and their tech guy, Alex, knocked on the door. Instead, they had coffee and breakfast. Each of them showered and got dressed. Kyle and Denny threw rubber balls around the backyard for the dogs, while Kate and Megan zoned out with reruns of The Office. It was as if they all, even the house itself, were just waiting. Waiting for the next move. Now, Denny stood in the kitchen, leaning against the scratched countertop, watching three strangers go in and out of the carport door, carrying some equipment. Two women and a lone man, their costumes not what he anticipated. Denny had expected mostly black. Silk, maybe. With some fringe, an intricate lace. But no, they were, well, normal. The two women wore airy blouses and shorts, they both had shoulder-length brown hair, one straight while the other was wavier, and they had soft features, high cheekbones, and round, searching eyes. Each were about Kate's height, on the thinner side, and moved like ghosts themselves, delicate and swift. The women weren't twins, but could have passed as such. Twenty minutes before, Denny had learned each of their names, but promptly forgotten them. In his mind, they were Converse and Sandals, due to their chosen footwear. Their male companion was what Denny had expected. About as tall as Denny, the man had thick lenses in an even thicker frame, and the glasses kept sliding down the bridge of his nose. Shaggy, unkempt hair, but it was apparent that this wasn't a fashion statement, but rather that he had much more important things to do than look in a mirror. He wore baggy jeans and a t-shirt with a cartoonish sprinkled donut, a massive bite taken out of one side. Above it were the words, I don't care. 
He probably could have benefited from more sunlight on his skin and perhaps a few push-ups, but overall, he appeared to be a regular dude. All three seemed average. Normal. Not the sort you'd expect to see in graveyards or sitting across from you during a seance, or posting almost comical videos of paranormal phenomena on the internet. In fact, out of that particular context, if Denny saw them on the street, he'd peg them for librarians or housewives or members of the Best Buy Geek Squad. This whole notion was frustrating for Denny, as he wanted an excuse to stop everything. Stop it and go back to ignorance. He wanted the Georgia Ghoul Society to pull into their driveway driving a hearse or the mystery machine and have a trio of goth teenagers pile out. Instead, it was a 10-year-old lime green Xterra, with three people who could be strolling through a farmer's market or reading placards together at a local museum. Denny wanted bad tattoos and upside-down cross necklaces. He hoped they would have black fingernails and speak only in monotone. Where were the chains and crystals, the Manson shirts? He wanted the volatile mixture of arrogance and ignorance, the telltale signs of mental instability. He wanted a group, though he'd never admit this aloud, that he could dismiss on sight. When he was younger, Dennis Coleman had been that goth kid, and most of his demeanor and appearance were defense mechanisms. Denny wanted that. A group of people who were trying too hard. People who were, in succinct terms, fake. The fact that they weren't, or didn't appear to be, was unnerving. Because now, this was going to happen. There was no stopping it. These strangers were going to help them perform a seance. Denny, Kate asked. She'd come into the kitchen and was standing in front of her husband. He'd been staring right through her. They're ready. Come on. Shaking his head to clear it up, Denny followed her into the dining room. The two sisters sat on one side of the table, while Kyle and Megan sat opposite them. Denny had installed a three-globe farmhouse-style light fixture over the table, and the Edison bulbs burned over the group. Sunlight streamed in on the chair at the head of the table, as if inviting him to sit. Obliging, Denny walked around, saying, Isn't this supposed to be dark or something during one of these things? The sun isn't going to set for another half hour. You've seen too many movies, the closest sister said. Her voice was friendly, high-pitched, but not squeaky. She sounded warm and patient. The dark is helpful, but whatever is possible at night is also possible in the daylight. But we aren't getting started just yet, the other woman said. She had a similar voice, though some of her words featured a lisp. We'd like to reserve some time at the beginning to get to know our clients. Clients? Kate asked. She'd seated herself in the chair at the other end of the table, mirroring Denny. Sorry, that's just the old bank manager in me. I just mean, we like to chat for a while, feel more comfortable in the same space with each other. We find that doing so has a positive effect on everything. I already told you what you needed to know about them, Kyle said, leaning forward in his chair. Denny was put off by this, and he glared at his friend. What did he tell these complete strangers? Having his dirty laundry out there, even with those who specialize in these sort of stains, made him feel somehow more uncomfortable. If that was even possible, under the circumstances. You told us some facts, one of the sisters said, smiling patiently. Like they're relatively new here in the South, and that you are both English teachers. Denny scoffed, then pointed at Kate. She's the only teacher here. 
You are still an educator, Dennis, no matter the layoff. Your job is to help others, sort of like us. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We had brief introductions earlier, but let's go a little deeper. I'm Aaron Green, and this is my sister, Pamela. Denny leaned back in his chair so he could see under the table. The closest woman was wearing the converse. Aaron equals converse. Sandals is Pamela. Call me Pam, the woman said, her smile just as warm and inviting as her sister's. We were born here. The room was silent, as if waiting for Pam to finish the sentence. But apparently, that was it. Kate said what Denny was thinking. What do you mean, here? Like, this house? Denny knew that was impossible. The few tidbits Kate had let slip, or the information still up on her computer screen, told Denny that the original and only owners of their house had no children. No, of course not. This city. Augusta, Pamela said. And you'll want to laugh, but we've always thought that we had some sort of a connection to the other side. It wasn't until a few years ago that we began taking it seriously. Does anyone want coffee? Megan asked, her voice thin as if she was already uncomfortable. There were a few nods, including Denny, and she went into the kitchen. By seriously, do you mean full-time? Kate asked. We wish, Aaron said. No, we don't make any money from this. I mean, some from the sponsors on the YouTube stuff, but that mostly pays for equipment and gas. Alex? Pam said as their companion entered the room. To Denny, it felt like he was conjured by the sisters, appearing in the doorway at the mention of his name. Well, we've been friends with Alex since we were kids. What, 30 years? 35, Alex said. And Denny realized that this was the first time he'd heard the man speak. He did have the monotone sound Denny was after, but rather than depressive, this was closer to automated, robotic. I work on Fort Gordon. Civilian contract, cyber stuff. Kyle laughed. The army's cool with you being a part of all this? My free time is my free time, Alex said. Ladies, we're all set. Thank you, Alex, Aaron said. And the man went to sit on one of the blue chairs in the parlor. The same chair Denny had found Kate screaming in a month before. Turning back to the table, Aaron went on. I work at a bank, just a local credit union, but it keeps me busy most days. And what about you? Kate asked. I write romance novels, Pam told her, the matter-of-fact nature in her voice matching the expression on her face. Seriously? Denny asked, not bothering to stifle a giggle. Yeah, those Harlequin dime store kind. Well, I guess they aren't a dime anymore. How the hell did you get into that? This was Kyle, obviously amused. Well, I had an English teacher, not unlike the two of you, Pam said, looking first at Denny, then at Kate, who said I had a knack for writing. I was especially into writing hard science fiction, but it turns out the money is in throbbing members and alabaster bosoms. This made everyone at the table laugh, and it worked to cut the tension. I did not see that coming, Denny said. He reached into his pocket and pulled out his cigarettes. He knew Kate hated it when he smoked in the house, but hey, desperate times. He looked at her, but she appeared like she hadn't noticed. Kate was focused on the sisters. What else do you know about us? Kate asked. We know you're kind people, animal lovers. As if almost forgotten, they were part of this as well. Denny looked around, finding both Labradors on the kitchen floor, their heads moving in unison, watching Megan move around the room, 
hoping for some morsel to drop into their domain. We know that you're, what, 37, Denny? And Kate, you turned 30 this year? Both of them nodded. Denny, this isn't your first marriage. And Kate, it took Denny quite some time to break down your walls, right? Past trauma? What the fuck, man? Denny said to Kyle. Did you tell them about my middle school boners, too? I, I didn't, Kyle began. Denny felt fingers on his forearm. Aaron was gripping him softly. He told us basic information, the stuff on the questionnaire. We've been putting the rest of this together since we arrived. Indignant. Embarrassed. That's what Denny felt. What about me says second marriage? The way you treat Kate. Loving. Soft. As if you want to get it right this time. And how about her? How do you know about her past? The way she lets you treat her. It's written all over her face. Wouldn't take a medium to see that. Denny's head spun, landing on this sarcastic response or that angry insult, but none would have suited the situation. Instead, he kept quiet. The ash on his cigarette had grown long as he spent more time holding than smoking it. Is that what you consider yourselves? Kate asked. From the parlor, Alex said, mediums are quacks, con artists. Aaron studied her sister's face before answering, as if she were looking for the right response. We aren't anything. Sometimes we just get feelings. Sometimes we see things we can't explain. Much of what the mediums of the past were doing was simply listening to their intuition, reading people in the room. And that's sort of it. We can read between the lines, see inside people. And what's your read on me? Kate asked, besides my marriage. You've got some good friends, Aaron said. We know that. Because they called you? Denny asked. He reached over and patted Kyle on the shoulder. I don't think you quite understand the extent to which this man will go to fuck with me. No, because they cared enough to seek help. They knew you were hurting. Yeah, we were, Kate said, barely a whisper. We still are. Pamela Green took Kate's hand and squeezed it. Denny thought, this is it. We're all going to hold hands and start chanting or whatever. But instead, Pam let go of his wife. This house, she said, splaying fingers out on the table like piano keys. This home is the first you've owned. As she finished her sentence, the three bulbs above them flickered. Not together, as if some surge passed through a local transistor, but sequentially, blinking in order like a traffic light. The group watched the light fixture, then the two sisters shared a look. Denny didn't like that. It was as if this were some confirmation of something, instead of his shoddy electrical work. And of course, we know you aren't alone in this house, Aaron said. There's someone who might consider ownership debatable. Megan returned with the coffee and spread mugs around the table. She was the only one to sip hers. She'd missed the flickering. As they sat around the table, the sun was covered by one cloud, then another, dipping the room into muted blues and grays. Then the sun was gone, behind the overcast curtain in the sky. Kyle cleared his throat. Do I have to be the asshole who asks, what now? Where have you felt the energy most? Denny desperately wanted Kate to take over. No matter how far he'd gone now, or how much he'd admitted, 
he still felt like a fool. One of those whack jobs on some guy's spooky podcast. He could barely believe any of this himself. So why would anyone else? But Kate remained silent. So Denny went for it. Mostly in my stomach, sometimes my arms and legs, Denny said, slipping into therapy speak, and like I can't get a deep breath. I felt that way too when we came inside earlier, Pam said. But what we mean is, we're in the house. Denny's cheeks flushed, embarrassment visible across his face. He said no more. Instead, he hid behind his coffee mug. Everywhere, Kate said, finally. But mostly our bedroom in the back, and below it, the basement. Then we start downstairs, one of the sisters said. Denny wasn't sure who, because he was fixated on the wood grain of the dining table. Everyone took some time to get ready. Kate and Megan changed into socks and shoes, fearing the very tangible worry of spiders and cockroaches in the basement. Kyle and Denny opened beers in the kitchen, and Alex, the tech guy, joined them. Soon the sisters came into the room. More drinks were poured, and even more when Kate and Megan completed the group. This was far from the preparation ritual Denny had anticipated. He had conjured images of special teas, steaming with witchy ingredients like wormwood or hemlock, prayers or chants being recited. Where were their robes and other spectral accoutrements? He had anticipated a somber affair, a near funereal procession to the site of the seance. This was the opposite, the photo negative. Denny poured rounds of shots, twice, and the tension was, in a matter of minutes, almost gone. Soon, everyone was loose, almost calm. Not like they were about to try and talk to the dead. The four old friends and three local ghost hunters spent the next 45 minutes chatting and drinking, moving from the kitchen to the porch until the sun had set and the nocturnal insects began their chaotic symphony. No one noticed the dogs, sitting side by side in the dining room, staring at the chair where Denny, their master, had been sitting 20 minutes before. Their gaze focused on the empty space lit by the last shreds of muted sunlight coming in through the window. They were frozen, as if they were hunting, waiting for a mouse or a rabbit to emerge from under the deck. When the chair slid back, the dogs jumped. Echo let out a shrill bark. Hearing this from the porch, Denny yelled, Come on, girls! Let's go downstairs! They each hesitated, backing up slowly, hindquarters vibrating, watching the chair slide backward another few inches, then rest against the windowsill. Their eyes tracked up and around the table, until finally it would have looked like the dogs were staring at the ceiling. Each of their low growls tapered off, turned into soft whimpering as they gazed upward. Their noses twitched, the scent of sulfur and rotting meat filling their nostrils. Echo felt herself let go, with a small yellow puddle spreading beneath her, and while she knew she might have to answer for that later, at that moment she didn't care. All she wanted to do was run, to escape the thing towering over her, turning her and her sister from predator to prey, and get to those that might be able to protect them. Both dogs scrambled to turn around, knocking into one another, feeling unseen fingers sinking into their fur and flesh, but once they got their feet under themselves, the pair made it outside to join the living. 
Thank you so much for listening today. This episode, Chapter 13, of The Ghost Modernist, was presented by Dr. Scarelove. Theme music was provided by Atrium Carcheri. Please check out the show notes for links to their music and others from the Cryo Chamber label. Follow me on Instagram, at theghostmodernist, for more updates. And if you're a fan of the show, and you haven't done so already, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, as each one helps me scare more people. And if you're looking for something else to give you maybe a few scares or a few laughs during the week, check out my other podcast that I do with my wife, Krista. It's called Dr. Scare Love. Each week we tackle a different subject that is in some way scary or horror related. Um, you can find that on Apple and on Instagram at Dr. Scare Love Podcast. And I have two quick shout outs this week. Uh, one to Air Jordan 1988. Uh, thank you so much for the kind words. And another one to BK Hands. Uh, which I'm pretty sure is a reference to uh, those old Burger King commercials, which I absolutely love. Thank you so much to those reviewers, and thanks to everyone that's been listening uh, and everybody that's been commenting or following on Instagram. It's great getting to chat with everybody. Um, I'm so glad you're taking this journey with me, and uh, I hope you're enjoying. So that's it for this week. Remember, there are two types of people in this world, the haunters and the haunted. Which one are you?